Well, good morning, Bel Air. We're in the fourth week of a uh, month-long series taking a look at what would it look like if God was to make a resolution through us. It's the beginning of a year, and often we make resolutions, but we kind of spun it, turned it on its head, and said, okay, if God was to make some resolutions through us, what would it look like? If you missed any of those, you can go on our website. Uh, if you have access to um, iTunes or even Android, we have our podcasts that we update on a weekly basis. would love for you to get caught up on those things. And they've all followed with an S each of these four weeks. First week, we wanted God to help us see the way God sees. Second week, to serve the way that Christ serves. Three, to submit in the way that Christ submitted. And in this fourth week, what would it look like for God to sow in and through us? S-O-W. Now, I realize that with the alliteration of S's, I come to one that many of us have no idea what to do with. Uh, because we're not gardeners. Statistics say right now uh, that per capita, we are growing our own food or raising our own food at the, the smallest fraction of any point in human history. We don't know how to sow in the ground. We've outsourced it to other people. So I realize that this illustration of sowing uh, falls on deaf ears for the majority of us in 2018. So I'm going to switch the metaphor to investing. <laughs> because it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's putting in. It's, it's sowing into. It's investing. Why don't you open up your Bibles. Let's go to Luke 19. This is a, a parable that we find. Um, it's got a lot of similarities to another parable in Matthew called the parable of the talents. There's enough uh, differences actually to Help us see in Luke 19, 11 through 27, that this is a different emphasis that uh, Luke is helping us see here. But what page is it in your, uh, oh, you, run your quick, 854. So that red book in front of you uh, is our pew Bible. Would much rather you have it in your life. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. And if you're joining us online, of course, every week we read out of the new revised standard version. And I'll read this section uh, and then we're going to dive right in. As they were listening to this, he, this is Jesus, went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he, Jesus, said, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. He said to him, and you, rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, 
taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into the bank? Then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Thanks be to God. <laughs> yeah, we had a moment uh, Tuesday in preparing for this. Do we end at verse 26? Do we keep going to verse 27? You know, I'll get to that verse 27 in a bit. Uh, remind us that, you know, what the Bible says about itself is this, that all of Scripture, all of it is God-breathed. All of it's actually useful for teaching, for reproof, for training up in the ways of the Lord. We'll get to 27, but hang with me here because what we're going to do in this little bit of time we have is to look under two headings, two different types of investments and two different types of kings. Now, let me, uh, let me just explain a couple things very quickly here. A pound, some translations say a minas, M-I-N-A-S, is a form of currency. It's an amount of money. Now, in the Gospel according to Matthew, there's the parable of the talents. Now, it takes 60 pounds to equal one talent. So in this parable, it's actually uh, less money. But in that day, in the first century, um, a pound was the equivalent of three months' wages. So just consider that for a moment. Think about what you might make uh, a quarter of your annual income. And in this uh, scenario, we've also got to understand that Luke, who is the gospel writer, who, by the way, gives more details than any other gospel writer, perhaps it was his medical background as a physician, he gives all these details. He gives a different reason for this parable than the parable of the talents in Matthew's account. And he says this, open those Bibles back up. Here's the reason why, and it helps us understand by way of context why and what Jesus is saying. In verse 11, as they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell a parable because two things. One. He was near Jerusalem. Let's pause right there. Jerusalem was seen as God's city, the city of peace. This was to be the place where God's reign and God's rule and God's kingship would be restored. So they're, they're near this, this ancient city, this famous city. They're thinking something's about to happen. We believe he's the coming king that's going to set everything right. And so Jesus tells this parable because they are near that physical place. The second reason says this, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They thought, okay, when Jesus comes marching in Jerusalem, right then and there, everything's going to be overthrown. Evil will be vanquished. No more injustice, no more tears, no more sadness. The faithful will reign and rule with the great and true King Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. And he goes into this story. And actually, uh, another, some details to help us understand this. Uh, you know, numbers are so important, uh, not only in Scripture, but in these cultural contexts. It's this great resource. And it talks about uh, how the number seven often means perfection. 
Uh, the number 40 signifies a significant enough of time for change to have occurred. Uh, the number 10 often represents uh, fullness or totality or everything. So some scholars say the fact that this, this nobleman chose 10 servants and gave them a total of 10 pounds, it's kind of like saying that this nobleman, before he left on his journey to be crowned king, gives everybody everything they need. But in this story, we see three particular servants that are kind of called forward to kind of see how their investments go. And we see that actually there's four different types of investments that we see here. Now hang with me here and this will hopefully all come together. Open those Bibles back up. So Jesus is telling this story about a nobleman who goes to a distant country to be crowned as king. Then returns, and then you find in verse 16, the first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. A thousand percent ROI. I mean, that is rare. And the first type of investment we see here is a, is a high risk, high reward type investment. Now let me take a step back for a moment and say that actually all of these were risky because if you look here, open those Bibles back up. In verse 14, it says, but the citizens of his country hated him. This is the double person. And sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. So all the people of the land can't stand this nobleman who goes to get king and come back. And these ten people that have to invest what the nobleman had entrusted them have to do business in a culture that is vehemently opposed to the nobleman. So they literally have to take the nobleman's money and they have to go out and do business and invest it. And think about this, practicality. They, they go into the world to invest it and they say, oh, oh, it's you representing him with his money. Think about how hard it would be to do business in a culture that wanted everything but that person to rule over them. And so this, this first individual, high risk, high reward. I mean, we see this in the investing world, 1,000% uh, returns. This is like Bitcoin. This is like cryptocurrency. This is like uh, oil, EFTs. I mean, this is like investing in foreign markets. I mean, it's it just high risk, high reward. And the amazing thing is that the nobleman sees that reward and says this. Verse 17, well done. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of 10 cities. And so the nobleman in this story is saying, because you've been faithful with this, you've taken what I've entrusted to you, and you've been risky with it, you've put yourself out there with it, I'm going to give you authority in my kingdom, the nobleman says, that is in proportion with the amount of risk that you took. That's the first type of investment. The second one is this, take a look, verse 18, and the second came saying, Lord, your pound. By the way, all of them say your pound. They, they acknowledge where the source of the money has come from. They don't say this was mine. They, they acknowledge that it's been given to them. Your, your pound has made five pounds. And so, as it goes, no one says, I will then entrust you with the authority over five cities. It's kind of the still aggressive. I mean, a 500% return is pretty massive. I mean, this is like playing the stocks right, this is playing the investment right in the perfect times, you, you know, you, you buy low, you sell high, I mean, it, it's just phenomenal, 500% return. So faithful in that and trust with authority over five. 
Then you get to the third uh, that says, you know, here's what I've done with it. And the nobleman responds with the third type of investment. He says this, take a look. In verse, where is it? 23, thank you. Why then do you not put my money into the bank? Then when I would have returned, I could have at least collected it with interest. This is the most conservative type investment possible. You don't invest it out there. You don't take any risk. Conservative, you just put it in the bank, let it, you know, 3%, 4%, just kind of go with that. At the very least, if you would have just invested that, it's the third type. Risky, kind of moderate, conservative. But then the fourth type of investment is actually what that, that third servant did. Well, what did he do? He did nothing. Verse 20, then the other came saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He doesn't invest at all. Not risky, not moderate, not conservative. He takes what he's been given and he hides it. Out of fear, he does nothing. He's not willing to go out into society and do business. Not even willing to invest it in the bank. He does nothing. That, that reveals to us the fourth type of investment. Now you've got to know when Jesus tells parables, he's going for something deeper than just the words on the surface. There's another parable called the parable of the sower. He's not talking about best agricultural practices. Uh, in this parable, he's not talking about the best ways to invest, invest your hard-earned money. He's going for something deeper than that. And what's so amazing about each of these four different types is that it's so true as we live our lives as human beings, it's especially true as we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Because some of us, we're risky in our faith. And you see, it's, it's got nothing to do with are you willing to go on a global, you know, mission trip? Are you willing to plant churches? This is true in every single environment. Some of you are so risky with what God has entrusted you. Some of you, when you show up to your life group, you are so risky because you show up through tears and you say, my marriage is on the rocks. I need you to pray for me. Some of you, you, you show up to serve in the students, and, and you were so risky because you, you're putting yourself out there. You're always showing up. You show up early. You, serve, you do things that you're not even asked to do because you just want to help. And you, you pray for these students boldly. And you're willing to mentor in all the ways that you've been asked to. And some of you are risky because you, in your workplaces, are so willing to live with integrity. You're so willing to, to share your faith with others. Some of you have shared with me. You're like, you know what, I don't care if I don't get the promotion. I don't care if I lose my job, but I, I want to be risky and bold in my faith. I think about the circumstances for my wife and I to have Judah, our first son. I think about that couple that said we would rather lose our home than be disobedient to God. There's some people that are risky with their faith. And God says... Jesus, and I'll get there in a moment, he says, when I return, I will entrust you with greater authority in my kingdom. Now you've got to hear that you don't have to go and plant a church in Zimbabwe to be risking your faith. Because some of you have the riskiest prayer lives I've ever seen. 
you're, you're risky in your marriages and your parenting for Christ. Now, there's another area. It's that second area. It's, you know, it's, it's 500% return. This is massive. I mean, it's just a shade below that, but you're, you're, you're bold. You're still bold, but maybe just a little bit less than. And, and, and the conservative in community, maybe you go on a global service team and you show up and you do everything that you're asked, but, you know, you don't want to do anything beyond that. Uh, you know, maybe you show up here on Sundays and you, and you give and you smile and you encourage people, uh, but, it, but, you know, but it's just the minimum. So maybe some of you in your prayer lives, you know, you've got three minutes carved out every day and that's, you know, that's, that's all that you give. And I want you to hear that Jesus says, we all invest differently. But the point is, you've got to invest. Some people are risky, some people are moderate, some people are conservative. You've got to invest. You've got to pour your heart, you've got to sow into, you've got to plant into the kingdom of God. Jesus is making this point because at the end, you know, some people think that that third servant is an unbeliever. Uh, somebody who doesn't believe in God. No, 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 they're... They're a believer. They're just not faithful because it's that fourth category where they don't invest. They hide everything. That's the type of person that maybe uh, that shows up on a Sunday and doesn't care about anybody else. That shows up in a life group and it's it's all about them. Uh, you know, it's 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 they're the black hole of relationships. They're sucking life and light into their own lives, and and they're not they're not giving back. Perhaps out of fear, it's fearful to be vulnerable with others. You know, it's scared to to put your your job on the line to be bold in your faith with Jesus. But the point is, Jesus says. That when you invest in God's kingdom, there's something that will be returned back to you and it's, it's greater authority. You will actually be entrusted with more opportunities to be faithful, not only on this side of eternity, but in God's kingdom when it comes. Now, today's Stewardship Sunday. We, we do this every year. Uh, many of you are familiar with this in the fall. We've called it different things. We've called it Ingathering Sunday. We've called it... Uh, stewardship Sunday, and as we gather in this place, some of you, you've already come and you've, you're already prepared, and you've actually written down on a card uh, the variety of things that you want to pledge, that you're going to give later on in the year. Some of you are like, what is this? I've never even heard of this thing. Well, I want you to know that towards the end of our service, there's going to be a moment where our whole church family, and it's so beautiful to see Rather than as we pass the plates to the pews, people will come forward and place their offering in the baskets. Now, I know many people give online as well, but, but for the rest of us, in addition to that, we have this card. It's in your pew right now. And I want you to pray about this. You can, you can tune me out for a moment and just start praying, God, what would you invest through me? What would you sow through me in God's kingdom through this church in this upcoming year? Now, some of you, you already know this. You know what you're going to give a month, every month. Some of you know what you're going to give uh, throughout the year. And some of you, you have no idea what you're going to make this year. Maybe some of you might just write down a percentage. This is between you and God. But even beyond that, I want you to take a look at this card because there's more importantly perhaps, more expensive perhaps is your time and your energy. And there's opportunities for you to give, to invest in God's kingdom through this church, through service. You'll notice it says, I'd like to serve in or get more information about serving in all these areas. Would you prayerfully consider 
that you wouldn't leave here today, unless you're a guest and you're just checking that out, that's fine. But if this is your church home, that you wouldn't leave here in that fourth category of saying, no, 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 I'm not going to invest, I'm not going to show up, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to volunteer. It's all about me. Don't miss, don't miss that opportunity, this great invitation. But going back to the text, let's go to that troublesome verse 27. Should I cover that or should we just close in prayer? You want to cover it, right? Luke 19, 27, Jesus ends this story and says, But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. That's a tough, tough thing for Jesus to say, right? And we don't have the luxury, Scripture says, to pick and choose the verses we like and don't like. All of Scripture, as I said earlier, is God-breathed. All of it's useful for teaching. And I found that if I just use one verse to help me understand the nature and character of God, then I have a very, very narrow view. But rather, the more that I study Scripture, that when I see all of it, which is actually all in harmony with itself, I have a greater, richer view. So on one hand, Scripture says that it's through Jesus that we're saved, that no one can experience the eternal relationship with God in God's presence aside from a saving relationship through Jesus Christ. It's very clear to say that. It's not your good works. It's no other belief system. It's through Jesus receiving all that he's done. That's how you experience the fullness of all that God intends for you. It also says in 2 Peter 3.9 that God loves all of his creation so much that he longs that none would perish. That he is so patient that he waits and longs that everyone would turn to him. Both of those things are true. What I also know is that this was written in space and time. And it's also important to understand cultural context. This is in the first century. Jesus is speaking about a nobleman that leaves to go to a different land, get crowned as king. All the citizens can't stand him. They send a delegation after him to stop that from happening. Every single one of those hearers would know exactly who Jesus was talking about. And if you know anything about what happened in 4 BC, you know that there was a man named Achilles, Herod's son, who wanted to be king after his father died. And so he actually needed to go to Rome because the Roman Empire was the one that had conquered the nation of Israel and the surrounding land. So he needed to literally leave to go to a distant land, to go to Rome, to be crowned as king, to then return to rule over the people. But the thing is, before he did that, he kind of had a bad day. And he killed 3,000 people in front of the temple. Right before he left. And so, and this is just any old, this is like he killed the Pharisees. He killed the religious leaders. He wanted no one to stop him. He kills 3,000 people and he goes to Rome. And so, uh, the Jewish people send 50 delegates after him to convince Rome that this is a bad dude. And they crown him king anyway. 8,000 people are like rioting in the streets back home. He comes back and he doesn't miss any opportunity not to express his displeasure and his anger at anyone who crossed his path. But Jesus, who was on the cusp of going to Jerusalem, on the cusp of actually going to a distant land, heaven, 
to be crowned king, not by human hands, not to be knighted by a human or sworn into office by a human or crowned by a human. Literally, Scripture says that he went to God the Father and received the name above any name, that he was exalted to the highest place, at the right hand of the Father. He is crowned as king. And Scripture says that one day he will return again, which he hasn't yet. We live in that in-between time. But what's the last thing that Jesus did before he went to the distant land? When you know what he did, you realize this is a very different type of king, this Jesus. See, Achilles killed 3,000 people before he went to a distant land. He slaughtered thousands in his presence. But this king, the true king, the good king, the loving king, Jesus, what did he do? He was slaughtered in front of thousands. This is a different type of king altogether. Who is the most noble of nobles, born in the line of David, and yet has existed for all of eternity. Is at the right hand of the Father, Scripture says in Revelation 11, that when he comes again and the kingdom of heaven will become the kingdom of this world where he will have his reign and his rule and he will give authority to those that have been faithful with what God has entrusted them, it's also his desire that none should perish. And so we, we've got an opportunity as people that have been entrusted not only with this life but with relationships and resources and opportunities in all the areas that we have, we've got a choice. How? And even before how, if we're going to invest in God's kingdom. And there's different seasons. Sometimes we invest conservatively, sometimes moderately, sometimes risky. And Jesus just says, I want you to invest. Show up. Say, how can I pray for you? Say, how can I serve you? Say, you know what? I can be late to that thing. What can I do to help you out right now? Some of you, you might make the choice this year to go surf down in Baja. And when you do so, show up and be risky and bold in your faith. Some of you might choose to sell your homes and go plant a church somewhere. That's not out of the question for some of the people here. But the point isn't just how, it's if. Are you going to invest? And so I think about how easy it is for me, and I'm a pastor, how easy it is for me to go to my life group and just kind of show up and kind of phone it in, how easy it is for me to show up in my marriage or parenting, how easy it is for me to show up on a Sunday or even throughout the week with the staff, how easy it is for even me to go representing the church just because I'm in this role. Don't think that I'm risky for God. I'll step off that pedestal the moment you put me up there. I have a choice, like every single one of you, Am I going to invest in God's kingdom or not? Then I have to choose as much as each and every one of you do in every moment of every day when I'm at the grocery store. How am I going to invest in God's kingdom as I interact with this person in front of me in line? You and I, we have these opportunities every single day to sow into the kingdom of God. And we get to do that every single day as a church family. And if you're not in a life group, get one. Because that is the best possible experience on a regular basis for you to sow into, to invest in, to practice the one another's of Scripture. I'm honored to walk this journey with you. You increase my faith. You challenge me to give more, to be riskier, to be bolder, to be more vulnerable in my following of Jesus. Let's pray.
Loving God, as we uh, consider the fact that you are a different kind of king that lays down your life for us, may you move our heart, may you move our mind, so that we would not only acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from you, but we would see it as an opportunity to invest the life that you've given us for your purposes. So God, I pray that this, this moment of worship would simply be a time where we would represent that truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So purely from a, a logistical standpoint, what we do right now is symbolic, is representative of, of our hearts. God cares about our hearts more than he cares about our wallet or our time or our energy or our gifts. But as an act of worship, we want to give us as a church family an opportunity to come forward. And you'll notice these baskets up front, that it would be an act of worship. And some of you, you've come prepared to give. Some of you have already given online either way. If you were to put your offerings that you normally give in those baskets, maybe if you're new and you've got a prayer request or you filled out that Get Connected card, maybe you want to put that up front. But also there's many that have shown up today and you've written down what you're, between you and God, are pledging to give in this upcoming year or to serve in. Maybe it would be the most conservative as all, at all possible and you'll simply put your name and your contact info and say, you know what, I don't know where to serve. Can you help me find the best fit? We'd be honored to help you in that way. So as Ed and Kendall and the team lead us in this song of worship, let's, let's just pause for a moment. Let's not rush right forward, but let's just pause and turn our hearts to the one that gave it all, that paid it all. Let me pray. Jesus, you are a king unlike no other. And you will return again in power and in love. And you have entrusted all of us everything we need to follow you. Jesus, help us through the power of your spirit to be faithful, to see opportunities for us to give for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.